The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, I am Senior Pastor Rex Johnson. No, I am not. I am Brad Wilkinson, one of the assistant pastors around here. Senior Pastor Rex Johnson is sitting right over here. And uh, it is always a privilege and an honor of mine when I get to stand in front of such an incredible group of people and open up God's Word and uh, break down God's Word for a little bit. So, Pastor, thank you for the opportunity that I have to stand behind a pulpit that you... uh, you make it really hard to preach in this pulpit because you do it so, so well. But I'm going to give it my best shot today with the help and the grace of God. We're going to open up the Word of God and uh, we're going to see what happens today. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in this place this morning. And I have the privilege today of introducing to us over the next few weeks, we're going to be jumping into a brand new summer series called Fresh Air. And it's based on a book by a pastor by the name of Chris Hodges. And really, the the premise for this series is about reviving our souls. It's about refreshing our relationship with God. Because I don't know about you, but it's it's hot outside in summertime in Austin, Texas. There's a lot of stuff to do, a lot of things to do, a lot of places to go. And from time to time, I just need a refreshing wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through my life, to bring purpose back to bring passion back, right? Anybody, you ever find yourself in that situation? Yeah. And so we're, we're going to be just kind of trying to give you a, a cool drink of water, this fresh breeze uh, to blow into your world over the next few weeks. And we're going to take our, our scripture is based out of 2 Timothy. And you can stay seated this morning because we're going to jump into a, a whole lot more scripture in just a moment. But this is where this series comes from. 2 Timothy 1.16 would say this. May the Lord bless. And if you're looking for a name for your next child, I got one for you. Check this out. Onesiphorus. Anybody? No? Okay. And all of his family, because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. And that's our hope for you over the next few weeks, that you would experience this breath of fresh air in every aspect of your life. Because I know that I need it, and if I need it, maybe you need it as well. And I believe that God's going to do that. But this this passage, the Greek word that, that Paul uses to describe his friend literally means to put breath back in or to recover breath. It's an emotional CPR that's given, if you will. And so um, we want, over the next four weeks, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and, and just breathe life on us and in us. And every Sunday we're going to be teaching you a, a fresh air principle that when you leave here, right, we say this often at the church, that we're a church who loves you where you are, but wants to help move you to where God wants you to be. And and it's our belief that God wants to take some of us from a dry, boring existence and move us to a place where our faith is fresh, it's vibrant, and perhaps even revived when you need some type of a spiritual CPR. So I'm excited about that. The doldrums. Have you ever heard the phrase, the doldrums? Maybe you have, and, and if you have, it's generally in, uh, used in a, a sense of 
being in this funk, so to speak, being in a depressed state or being sad or being stuck or in a slump maybe. But this phrase is extremely real and it comes from um, mariners who would use this term to describe a place in the sea um, where there was no wind. Literally, there was no breath and no wind. To get caught in the doldrums, as they would term it, was to be trapped and maybe even lose your life because the very wind, the place that you have your eyes set on to move, there was no wind to take you where you needed to go. So you would literally be stranded. To be stuck in the doldrums would mean that you were literally in a place where there was no wind to make your boat move. And I think that if you were honest with yourselves today and you stepped back and you were, you were able to be introspective, that you, you might be able to say that at some point in your marriage you found yourself in the doldrums where you got married and things were, woo, they were good. Man, they were good. And then like 10 years went by and things were like, ah, you know, I, yeah, I like you. Of course, I married you. I wouldn't have, yeah, of course. Right? Or, or maybe even in our job, when you first started working in this job, it was like a lifelong dream come true that I finally, God, you opened the door for me to get this job. And now, when the alarm clock goes off, that same spouse that you loved so, so long ago, it just uh, she's elbowing you in the ribs. Maybe that's the reason why you've kind of grown to, to not like her anymore. I don't know, but, but now... She's elbowing you to make you get out of bed because you dread walking into the office and maybe you found yourselves in the doldrums when it comes to your occupation or perhaps even your relationship with God. There's, there's just something missing. And, and many of us who have been believers for a long time, maybe you've experienced this spiritually where you're in a rut of sorts. You're, you're not really hot. You're not really cold. But you're stuck in the middle somewhere in a spiritual state of the doldrums. And I, I, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for me, right? That when I'm in the doldrums in different aspects of my life, there's, there's several responses that I tend to go to, right? The, the first thing that we, we do oftentimes when we find ourselves in the doldrums is we start to fake it. When you're in a stale, dry place, and we're good at this at church, aren't we? <laughs> Things are fabulous, brother. God bless you. Pat on the back at church when on the way here, you and your wife were arguing. This is the same wife that we already talked about, remember? Y'all are arguing. And your kids, you were screaming at your kids because they're just awful, let's be honest. And they're probably next door kicking our wonderful teachers in the shins as we speak because that's kids, right? Yeah, you find yourself in this this place of, of faking it time and time again. You, you put band-aids over bullet holes and, and they're hidden but they're not healed. And that's exactly what's going on. And the prophet Jeremiah would speak to this in 6 verse 14. He says, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And if you hang out here long enough, right, we, we move into this second phase and we start to put things off. When you're dry, when you're stale on some level, instead of dealing with it or talking it out, we, 
We just put it off. We sweep it under the rug, right? Relationally, well, I mean, I, I know that this, my marriage is not going right, but if I talk about it, I mean, we're going to start crying. It's going to blow up. I really want to go to sleep. And so we just pull the rug up and we just throw it right underneath there. And every time we walk in the house, we have to walk over the, you know, this big elephant that's in the room. Time will, will heal this, right? Time doesn't heal. The only thing that heals is the power and the presence of God. Have you ever, maybe you like to, maybe you're a gardener. I, I am a gardener, but I, I kill things that I try to raise. It, it's awful. I, I found out that, this is crazy, this is new to me, that if you want something to grow, you have to water it all the time. I mean, I, now I know why things that I plant don't grow. I, I have to put water on them. But you know this to be true, that if there's a weed in your yard or in your garden, if you go pick it, when you first see it, it's easy to pull out. But if you wait and allow time to heal it, then what you do, the next thing you do, you've got your F-350 backed up with a rope around the stump of the tree attached to your your trailer hitch. And you're praying for dear life that when you throw it into four-wheel low that your bumper stays attached because the tree has become so big. When you allow things to grow, don't miss Grace by allowing bitterness to grow in you. Because hanging out in the doldrums, ladies and gentlemen, is no place for you and I. The third thing that we often do, right, is we give up. When we're in the doldrums, we lose hope. And, and we see this all the time for people who have missed the point in this relationship with Jesus thing, right? They, they've allowed it to become religion instead of relationship. And it happens in all types of relationships, it happens in careers. It happens in marriages. Uh, it can't change. My job won't change. Ah, just stop going. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah, my marriage can't change, so why, why even work on this? I, I don't even want to do this, so let's throw in the towel. My, my relationship with God won't change, so I, I'm not really feeling this. And so we just give up, and we become like Job when he says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? I can see hope for other people, but, but I don't see any hope for my own life. And this stage often leads to the fourth stage, where we die in a sense. Perhaps emotionally, you're, you're walking around alive, but you're not really alive. Maybe you, you die morally and do whatever it is that you want to do where nothing matters anymore, especially after a breakup or a divorce. We, we throw all of our morals to the wind and say, you know what, ah, who cares? I'll just do what I feel, what feels good. I, I'm just gonna, oh, woo! And we die morally. Maybe it's spiritually for some of us. We turn our back on this relationship with Jesus and we walk away from it all, live absolutely opposite of the things that we know we need to do. And isn't it interesting That when we find ourselves stuck in the doldrums, that more often than not, we do the wrong things to get out. We think that if if we can try harder and, and work smarter or whatever, that we can work our way out of the doldrums on our own volition. We do external things when what is actually needed is an internal change of heart. Because if you only do the external without working on the internal, you're going to find yourself in the exact same spot just a few days, a few weeks later. You can guarantee you'll be right back where you started. 
And so you and I, if you have found yourself in this state, hear me this morning. You and I need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into our sails. We need the power of God to move in our life, to revive our souls, to move us out of the doldrums. Because it's not how good you are. It's not how talented you are, how smart you are, what kind of family you come from. None of this will move you out of the doldrums. The only thing that will move you out of this stale, bitter, stagnant place is a fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit to take you from there to where you want to go. Some of us have been raised super religious, right? To the point where we think that to get God or to get to know God, we have to do all of these these good things or to follow a very specific set of rules. And, And if we do this, we'll get extra credit. We'll get more power. We'll, we'll get special favor with God. You don't do good things to get closer to God. It doesn't work that way. No, in fact, you have to get closer to God. And a byproduct of being close to him is that good things naturally start to flow out of you. You don't do all of this to, to try to get God to love you. No, 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 no. That's not the way this works. The gospel, hear me, the gospel is not an external thing. The gospel is the power of God to change your inner man. To change your heart. To revive your soul. And it all boils down to a choice that we make. Right? It all boils down to a choice. And this is where a lot of us seem to get off track because we start to manufacture this artificial external energy and you find yourself getting more exhausted and more frustrated and more depleted. Why? Because you only change the external. But nothing on the inside of you actually changed. Something on the inside of you and I has to change if you want to feel and experience this fresh breeze from the Holy Spirit. There's got to be an internal change that takes place. Take, take parenting for an example. I'm six years into this bad boy. I've got a six-year-old. I've got a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. My wife was out of town this weekend. And I'm happy to report that the children are alive. You're welcome, babe, wherever you are. And they're all yours the next few days. Just kidding. But parenting, right? We, most parenting is based upon modifying behavior. We threaten. We bribe. I, I was, yes, I did that this weekend. We force. We repeat. We restrict. Reground. Anything we can do to make them behave that we, the way that we want them to. But if we don't change the heart, if we don't get to the heart of the issue, guess what? We never win. And this is, this is not biblical. This is philosophy of bread, okay? So, could it be that this is why when, when college students move out for the very first time, that they seem to go, I don't have a better phrase for it, bananas? Because growing up, We've worked to get the behavior we've wanted, and we got it because it was forced on the outside. It was external things, but, but maybe, just maybe, we didn't work on the heart and allow God to massage their heart. Maybe we didn't bring them to church, right? Maybe we didn't pray with them at home. Maybe we didn't teach them the word of God. Maybe we didn't teach them about being in relationship with Jesus when we should have because we were so tired. Anybody ever been there? I know I have. Come on. 
I'm not the only one where it's easier to modify behavior than it is to try to get to the heart of the issue. And here's the choice. Will you choose to be motivated by external things? Or will you choose to be motivated by internal things? Because there's always a choice. And it seems like there's always a gravitational pull towards the wrong choice, right? From the, from the beginning in the garden, there have been two choices. Satan's always trying to get you to choose the wrong one. And it's easier to have these external constraints put on you. And they're important. You need these guardrails. But, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is a transformation of the inner man. It's a changing of heart. It's something on the inside of you that changes and everything else flows from that. But it's always been about a choice. From the very first story of the Bible, let me show you. Genesis chapter 2. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here was the choice. What are you going to do to become godly? The choice between the knowledge of good things and evil things in order to become godly. Or the choice of relationship with God. And God put these two choices in the form of two trees in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You learn about good things, bad things to become godly. The tree of life, where it transforms you from the inside out. The Bible would continue. And the Lord God commands them. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. He's basically saying, listen, I want you to live your life. I want you to have your freedom. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. If you eat of this tree, you're going to find yourself in this place called the doldrums where eventually you're going to die. It's not going to be what you think it is. And you're going to find yourself bad place. And a lot of us, a lot of us are dying on the inside in many areas of our lives. And the things that got us into the doldrums are the very things that we're using to try to get out of the doldrums. And those things will not work. Satan has always wanted you to pick from the wrong tree. God wants to give us life through relationship with him. And the enemy wants us to choose the tree of religion. And it's always this choice. And the good news that Jesus would bring is about the transformation of your heart. The transformation of something on the inside of you. And I want to read this passage of scripture and I hope that the the weight of this scripture hits you as heavy as it did me because this is so powerful. And if you've tuned me out, this is where you need to tune back in. If you've been on Facebook, lean in, all right? This is is a good time to, to pay attention. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this. This day I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessings and curses. Now watch this. Now choose life. Choose life. Choose freedom. Choose relationship with Jesus. Choose God's spirit working in you, not your external works working on you. Choose life. When you're presented with a choice, I'm pleading with you today that you have to choose life. And so this morning... 
We're going to close our time together in the next few minutes. I, I, I want to give you um, really the choice that's before you. Religion, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or a life in Christ. And I'm going to give you the choice by presenting you with three options. It's always about a choice. The first option is this. Doing more. Again, this is the religion ideology in a nutshell. Someone might tell you, see, listen, your, your problem is, is that you're not doing enough. You're not reading your Bible more than an hour a day. You're, not, you're praying for 10 minutes. A, oh, God doesn't love. Really? You want God to do something for you when you only talk to him for 10 minutes a day? Twenty. You're not doing enough. But the do more mentality, ladies and gentlemen, will drive you into a, a performance cycle that will inevitably lead you to this joyless existence in your relationship with Jesus. Doing more doesn't seem like the solution, but what about receiving what's already been done for you? Now this sounds, this sounds better, but there's always this gravitational pull to the wrong choice. The arch enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, if you will, were the guys that needed all these rules, right? To feel saved and preach this to people. And Jesus, watch what he says in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them, I can just see him talking. By them, you think you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I don't know if you're aware of this, ladies and gentlemen, but the goal of Christianity is not to be able to memorize every single word on every single page of the Bible. The word of Christianity is to know the Jesus that every word on every page of your Bible points to. I'm not saying you don't need to know the words you do, but that's not the goal. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not in relationship with Jesus... The point is not how long you can pray. The, the, the point is knowing who you are praying to and being in relationship with that person. That's the goal. Doing more or receiving what's already been done. The second is this. Trying to get God's approval. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been working your whole life for God to love you. If I can just do this, he'll love me. If I can just get there one more time, he'll love me. If I can read a little bit more, he'll love me. If I can do this, this, and this, this, he'll love me because he doesn't inherently already love me. <sighs> Trying to, to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. Think about Adam and Eve. They made the wrong choice, but when they made the wrong choice, God came looking for them. He didn't hide from them. He didn't go passive aggressive on them. He calls out to them and he came to where they were. The truth is this, is that you and I, we are all sinners. We're broken. We've made mistakes that on our own we can never recover from. But Jesus being rich in grace and mercy took the weight of our sin on the cross. All of our brokenness, all of our pain. And he hung on a cross for you and for me. And ladies and gentlemen, being in relationship with him is what it's all about. Trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. Here's the third one. Obeying 
out of duty. Imagine if you only ever did something nice for your wife or for your children because you felt obligated to, because you signed that marriage certificate and, ah, well, I married her, so I guess I better take her out. (laughs) Oh, well, we had kids, so I guess I better spend some time with them. Imagine if that was the kind of relationship that you had with your husband or wife or your children. It would be awful. It would be incredibly awful. But this is the exact way that some of us have chosen to follow Jesus. To have a relationship with him that is characterized by duty instead of devotion. That I, oh, I have to go to church because if I don't, you know, I'll I'll get a spiritual spanking and he won't love me. Instead of a place where it flows from your heart, a place where you know, well, I love you, and because I love you, I, can, I just want to do this. I just want to serve you. I want to treat my wife the way that she needs to be treated. I want to spend time with my kids because they're a gift from you. And listen, I, I don't, I'm not making any bones about it. The Bible is hard. It's hard to do everything in the Bible all at the same time. It feels impossible sometimes. If you're obeying out of duty. (laughs) But what about if you started obeying out of delight? (laughs) Then, Then it's not something that you have to do. Then it becomes something you want to do. And then it becomes easier and it starts to flow from you. It's not something that you're looking out checking a checklist. No, no, no. It's something that you wake up and you just start doing it. When you start serving out of delight instead of out of duty. Delight is a matter of the heart. When I love God, it just flows from me. I don't do things to gain his love. I do them because he loves me and because I love him. I don't do holy things to become holy. I do holy things because by his great love, he has made me holy. It's not... It's duty or delight. Duty delight. Maybe you've seen the old movie or play Fiddler on the Roof. I want to show you a quick clip from this movie. Check this out. Love. Boulder, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well... For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golden, 
Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. Then I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. He asks a question about the heart, an internal, an internal thing. And she responds with something external, a matter of duty and a matter of obligation. Do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. I cook your food. No, I know, but do, do you really love me? Yes, I wash your dishes. I get that. I, I know that you're doing all of the external, but, but do you love me? I milk your cows. I get that, but do you love me? And this is a picture-perfect contrast between religion and relationship with God in such a beautiful way. And this is the choice for you today. This is the choice. Will you choose religion or will you choose relationship? And I think this is the song that God is singing to some of us today who find ourselves caught in the doldrums of religion. Do you love me? Well, yes, God. I, I mean, I read the word like an hour a day. No, I get that. But child, do, do you love me? Well, well, yeah, I do everything that my parents taught me to do since I was a child. I, I know, I know, I know, but, but do you love me? Do, do you know me? Do you do all of that just to do it, or do you really know me? And this is the choice today. Some of us know all about him. We could rattle off passage after passage on what we're supposed to do, but when the heart of it comes down to it, you don't really know him the way that you need to know him. You've chosen duty over delight. You've chosen religion over relationship. And today, I'm asking some people in this house to once again choose life to choose to live for him with everything that you have. Do you love me? And so listen to this, every week we're gonna be teaching a, uh, a fresh air principle. And this is so simple, but it's so profound. 
Here it is. Are you ready? If you want a a breath of fresh air to flow into your world, here's the first thing that you have to do. You have to fall in love with Jesus. You know, I don't need you to fall in love with reading the word an hour a day, which that's not bad. That's great. I don't need you to fall in love with, with 47 hours of prayer. That's great. You need to do it. But that's not the point. I'm asking you today, if you want this breath of fresh air to sweep across your world, to move you from a place of stagnation and push you back into a place of purpose, you got to fall in love with Jesus like it was the very first moment that you ever met Him. And some of you today, maybe you've never fallen in love with Jesus. Maybe you're just in a place in life you're stuck you've been searching you've been trying but you came into Christian Life Austin today and you've heard this simple message on choosing life over religion choosing relationship over religion and today you're going to choose life for the very first time there's some of you in here who, who you know what it is to really live you used to live but you've grown accustomed to your relationship with God and now it's old, now it's stagnant, now it's stale, and you don't really truly feel alive, I'm going to ask you in just a moment as well to choose life, to choose a relationship with Jesus over religion, to choose, to choose delight over duty, because when you do, you will see that things start to flow from you and you're going to start to notice that the areas of your life that felt stuck, that felt bored, where you felt stale, you're going to start to say, well, I've started to move a little. I used to be there, but now I'm here and the, the fresh breath air of the Holy Spirit is going to move you. But you have to fall in love with Jesus. Would you stand with me?